Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and the end of term fun continues today. Disunited Kingdom, where normally we do political news for the four corners of the UK, we'll do a bit of that. Plus, we find out which is the most fun part of the UK. For the entire year, every week, we do political news and then ask everyone to bring in a local newspaper story. I award points for the most fun. Today, we find out which is the most fun part of the UK, England, Wales, Scotland or Northern Ireland. That's coming up in just a sec. But first, we continue our Times Radio festive focus groups. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, every day at this time, we always speak to two of our favourite columnists, but we thought for Christmas we'd get them all together. And with James Johnson, the former number 10 pollster who runs our monthly Times Radio focus groups, he's in the hot seat. But instead of having swing voters, he's got Times columnists, Rachel Sylvester, Danny Finkelstein, David Aronovich, Alice Thompson, James Marriott and Melanie Reid. So in today's instalment, every year in politics, careers rise and fall, but this has probably been the case more than most. So... Who do the group think were the biggest winners and losers of 2022? James Johnson starts with the losers. Biggest political loser of 2022. Alice, where you go? I think maybe Crosby Quartang, because actually Liz Truss did lose, but she became Prime Minister. Whereas he totally trashed his reputation in a month, effectively. I mean, yeah. less than. And I think it was really difficult. And then when he was sacked by tweet... And he's a very clever man who did brilliantly at school. And, you know, Rishi Sunak, he was the loser in the summer, but he's come back. Whereas Kwasi, I can't quite see how he does come back. No, I, I was going to say Kwasi Kwarteng as well, for exactly the same reasons uh, as Alice. There was a, a real kind of high flyer, was going was, was to absolutely be in place, uh, in, in a big place. Goes off on this on what is now always going to be called the the Kamikaze budget, uh, and so it's going to be famous forever. It's going to exist in the history books. It's going to be taught in uh, in schools and so on. Within uh, forty odd days, uh, managed to get fired, and then say, actually rather fetchingly in the end, yes, we got carried away. And you think you're not supposed to get carried away you're the chancellor the chancellor's the one person who's not supposed to get carried away don't you remember anthony barber to which of course the answer is well, of course he doesn't remember anthony barber uh and so on. who remembers anthony barber and that's about political forgetting etc as my old friend phil tinline always says once people forget a big political lesson then they're destined to repeat the mistake that led to them learning it in the first place and that was and that was an abs- an absolute classic labor governments have never 
have been in any doubt that that was the political lesson to be learned because it is ingrained in their in their minds unless they're Jeremy Corbyn. So I think Kwasi Kwarteng is uh, the uh, the biggest loser. Matt Hancock had already lost effectively by the beginning of uh, uh, of 2022. So Kwasi Kwarteng, yeah, I, I agree with Alice. Rachel, biggest loser. I agree with Alice and David, but I'm all, I'm going to say Liz Truss. She became prime minister. She became the shortest serving prime minister in history. I mean, she's she was utterly humiliated. She completely messed up. She achieved her dreams and then she blew it. That is pretty extraordinary. And she fell, she rose to the greatest height and she fell to the greatest depth. And she may not feel like it was a failure. She still believes she was right and she's going to be setting up think tanks to justify her position. But I think in any objective sense, she was, uh, alongside Kwasi Kwarteng, the biggest loser. Melody? I was going to say Liz Truss's biographers, um, <laughs> who set off to write a book that, uh, and then before they'd even um, got it finished, she had gone. Actually, I too uh, had, uh, my sort of uh, formal answer to this was Kwasi Kwarteng, for behaving like, a, like he was still in student politics. And he's now going to be pushing wheelbarrows of hubris for years to come for his arrogance that's you know he, he his arrogance has been reduced to dust and you've got to feel sorry at a human level for for anybody as clever and talented as that thanks um i was going to say boris johnson just because i think his entire career has been this sort of um a, this sort of exercise in defying his critics all the things they said he was you know um incompetent uh, unable unable to kind of govern anything um, properly, chaotic in his personal life, all these things that his entire career has been an exercise in, you know, overcoming, defying, and then suddenly everything that his, you know, critics ever said was wrong with him just overtook him. And this is now how, how he'll be remembered in that kind of great battle for his image, which has sort of been the great tension, you know, of his whole career in politics. He's just sort of lost and, yeah the kind of chaotic joke that everybody said he was is now, you know, how he's probably most widely viewed. And that's, I don't know, that's a kind of a very slow motion implosion, but I think an interesting one. Now, there were a number of people, I was going to say quasi Kwarteng as well. Obviously, you've got to be amused by Robert Buckland deciding that he was going to support uh, Liz Truss, having supported Rishi Sunak at the beginning and in order to gain <laughs> office and then finding that he'd backed the wrong horse. Uh, that was pretty amusing. I think there's a case for Jeremy Corbyn um, because of the rise of Keir Starmer during this year, uh, the Corbyn and the Corbyn project are really languishing. And I think that's quite a big loss. But actually, I think James is right. The big loser of this year should be, you know, the, the biggest figure to fall the furthest. And that is Boris Johnson. And he did, you know, have have an ambition of being prime minister for a decade he lost that ambition due to his own personal failings and in many ways quite tragic he's a very talented individual in many ways and he has a lot of charisma and he has real appeal um you know but lots of us ended up feeling that however much he may have an appeal uh, you couldn't um stand by and watch a prime minister uh, fail in the standards required for someone to hold that office and for him to lose that office in that way is tragic um i think it was merited and I think it does deserve the title of being the biggest loser of the year. Biggest political winner then, um, and that started Rachel. I think probably Keir Starmer, because he's gone from Mr Boring the start of the year to somebody who is now talked of as the next Prime Minister. Uh, and he's managed to build that reputation 
through, you know, obviously the Tories have lost their reputation, but he hasn't blown it. Uh, and I think he's grown in credibility over the course of the year. And I think um, the voters can now at least imagine him on the steps of number 10. And the polls are saying he's the most likely winner of the next election. And that's a big, big rise, a big victory for him. Danny, biggest winner? But there is a case for Keir Starmer. Obviously, we've gone into that. But I, let's let's do two other people, uh, Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak, uh, both of whom um, stood up for something in the Conservative Party. And in, I think Rishi Sunak ended up being quite brave in what well, he did. He left it too long, in my view, but he did resign from the government um, on dual matters of principle, both the uh, both the in the way the government performed and its position on tax. Then he fought an election, a leadership election, predicting a disaster would happen that then happened and was indicated by it and Jeremy Hunt you know who had become uh you know been reduced to the back benches came back so I think that there is there's obviously a case for Keir Starmer but in order that we're not all saying the same thing um I think you know you've got to make a big case for Rishi Sunak having become prime minister uh, despite all the odds how often does that happen in politics what happened with him it's extraordinary James uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be boring uh, unlike Daniel and say Keir Starmer just the way that the best thing in you know one of the you know politics you're so much at the mercy of events and circumstances and when events and circumstances conspire in such a way that to make the things that have previously seemed to be your weaknesses you know mr dull mr boring suddenly become your strengths i think that's a pretty you know that's a pretty good year in politics melanie well, for me it's Ange angela rayner because she's she's this scarily magnificent woman in her platform bobber boots and her <laughs> uh, her her ability she, she has this kind of puissant danger about her and I think she's I mean remember the Sharon Stone incident I mean she's she's absolutely capable of playing the 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 the, the somewhat sleazy are of the Tory MPs at their own game and um she's a street fighter and I you know you you've got to admire her as as this uh, very very powerful woman David. One of the people we could have mentioned for Biggest Loser of the Year could have been Pretty Patel. And so if we want to kind of bookend it neatly, one of the big winners of this year has been Suella Braverman. Absolutely remarkable career year in which she's actually been sacked and come back and stayed under two administrations, effectively under two administrations. And you had to ask yourself, what has she got that the others don't have? Um, what capacity? I can't see it in terms of her ability to understand what the job of Home Secretary involves. I can't see it in terms of her general appeal to uh, a majority uh, of the public. Um, I can't see it in her terms of her charisma or her capability of making speeches. And yet there she is doing the job she most wants and dreaming of that moment when she can deport uh, refugee to Rwanda, um, which may still sometime come before the end of the year or the beginning of next year. So I'm going to say the big unexpected winner of 2022 is Suella Braverman. And Alice. Well, I think as everyone said, everyone else, I would say Matt Hancock, weirdly, because to be the health secretary during a pandemic, when you tell everyone that they've got to stay indoors and they're not allowed to do anything, be found uh, in love, as he called it, and then managing to do I'm a Celebrity, which I thought was a catastrophe and would be a total disaster, but actually appealing to quite a lot of the country when he did it, and actually managing to be voted third in the end. I thought that was quite phenomenal, and, and it's not a good thing particularly. I don't really like the idea that politicians can rehabilitate themselves by um, really going in the stocks and having 
sort of scorpions pelted at them. But at the same time, I do think it's fascinating that he has come back better than he was this time last year. That's Alice Thompson there, uh, rounding off today's uh, Times Radio Focus, festive focus group. Alice Thompson, Danny Finkelstein, Rachel Sylvester, David Aronovich, James Marriott and Melanie Reed. The Times Radio festive focus group then. Of course, you can read them all in The Times every week. The columnists just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box to subscribe. Up next is Dish United Kingdom. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Redbox podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea, and Belfast to Bognor Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio. Yes, it's Disunited Kingdom where we head around the four corners of the UK to bring you political news from every part of the country. Uh, and we also, at the beginning of this year, started because people kept bringing in fun stories uh, as well as uh, covering politics. So we began a hunt for the most fun part of the UK. And uh, by 11.30, we will have established which is the most fun part of the UK uh, by basically awarding liberally extra bonus points. Um, so uh, let's find out who is on today's panel then. In Northern Ireland, Peter McVerry is station director at our sister station, New 105 in Belfast. Morning, Peter. Morning, dear Matt. Nice to have you with us. In Scotland, Katrina Stewart is a chief reporter and columnist at the Herald and Glasgow Times. Hi, Katrina. Hello. Nice to have you back in Wales. Will Haywood is Welsh Affairs Editor at Wales Online. Morning, Will. Borodana. to you, Will. And flying the flag for England, Nicola Adam is Editor of the Lancashire Post and Blackpool Gazette. Morning, Nicola. Morning. And Nicola's got a Christmas jumper on for luck, she says. We'll find out just how lucky it's going to be. <laughs> um, we will come to the fun stories uh, in a moment. First, I suppose we ought to do the proper job of uh, bringing you political news in the four corners of the UK. Um, I, I mean, it's mainly strikes, strikes, strikes and strikes. Uh, let's see how uh, it's affecting different parts of the country. Uh, first of all, Nicola, um, ambulance strikes happening today. What's it like in your patch? Um, I think what we're hearing is that we've been down today to what was going to be the picket line. But so what's happening is the crews are only attending category one incidents. But actually, the entire picket line had dispersed because there were so many category one incidents. So 
So kind of that shows the pressures that are on ambulance services, I, um, I expect. So it's just, um, you know, we're just monitoring the situation at the moment to find out how that's going to go. But we're hearing certainly our hospitals are absolutely, you know, rammed at the moment. There was a couple of our local hospitals put out the tweets that they're putting out very regularly at the moment saying they're just so busy, please don't even attempt to come in. So, you know, with the impact of the ambulance situation, I expect more people are trying to, to walk in as well, which is not, not helping matters. So we're, we're, it's a, we're monitoring it today, but it does look like it's kind of going to come to a head at some point, I feel. And what's the reaction of your readers? Do they support the strikes? Are they worried about, you know, because there's a sort of, I don't know, from a national picture, it could all seem a bit sort of abstract, but, you know, you, it's possible to support the strikes, but they'll be really worried if one of your loved, one get, loved ones gets ill today. Yeah, I, th I think both. I think there is sympathy, of course, for, for the striking staff, absolutely. But when it comes, you know, when it comes, push comes to shove, if you've got a, a loved one in a really serious situation, then, you know, it's going to be difficult for them. But yeah, um, there is a lot of sympathy. I think there's an un there is an understanding here about why people are striking. But obviously, as is all of these things, until it affects somebody personally, when it certainly affects your life immediately, then that makes people angry. Um, and, you know, of course, there are dissenting voices in that. There are people that think, you know, for goodness sake, it's Christmas, it's chaos. You know? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's um, largely we're not getting a lot of people saying, oh, why are they striking? You know, what's going It's ridiculous. It's yeah. more an understanding, but how are we going to get through this? Well, uh, let's go to Wales now. The picture there, Will. Uh, what's the... You've got paramedics on strike today in Wales. Uh, how and obviously, you know, we should point out Rishi Sunak's getting it in the neck in uh, in Westminster, but it's Mark Drake for the Labour Party who's in charge in Wales when it comes to the health service. Um, what does the strike look like on the ground there and the political impact? Yeah, so um, there's 1,500 uh, ambulance workers on strike today. Um, the Welsh government has offered them 4.75% um, uh, pay rise, but obviously with inflation where it is, that's the equivalent to a pay cut. Uh, it's all set up against the backdrop of how much the NHS in Wales is is really struggling. Um, in terms of two-year waits, they are much, much longer in Wales than they are in other parts of the UK. Now, part of that is because Wales is older and it's sicker than other um, parts of the UK. But a lot of this has to fall at the door of the Welsh Government, who ran the Welsh NHS since the start of devolution. But it's actually added a bit of um, pressure to um, Drakeford in quite a different way, because... They are, the Welsh Government often uses, we haven't received enough money from Westminster. And actually, yeah, they haven't received probably enough money from Westminster to be able to match the pay demands of these key workers. But the Welsh Government has, uh, over the last couple of years, has got the powers to actually raise income tax in Wales. Um, so they can actually raise it across all, all different bands. They have unlimited amounts they could raise it. So they could, theoretically, raise the money themselves. Um, the problem is, facing a, a Welsh Labour Government, the top additional rate of tax. There's very, very, very few people in Wales who actually pay that. So if you were to add um, 1% uh, to, to that figure, um, uh, uh, sorry, 1p in the pound to the additional rate, it would only raise about 5 million pounds. If you were to raise um, one penny to the basic rate, it would raise 220 million, uh, million pounds. So, um, but the idea that a Labour government in Wales would raise the lowest rate of income tax um, is not something that I think Mark Drake could be able to stomach. But it's also a bit against the backdrop as well of they are asking for more powers to Wales and people are arguing, well, you're not using the powers you have now. If you're not <laughs> going to use these powers at the moment. When are you ever going to use them? So it, it's um, it's adding pressure that the Welsh government hasn't really faced um, during devolution because it actually has powers to potentially be able to deal with some of this or mitigate it at the very least. So that's a picture in Wales. Uh, what about in Scotland, Katrina? Obviously, the, the um, Scottish government managed to 
head off the nurses' strike by by settling. But it doesn't mean that Scotland's unaffected by walkouts. No. Um, and before we get to that, I would just like the record to show that I am, in fact, wearing a Christmas oh, jumper. Oh, you have also got your... I can see you have got a Christmas jumper. <laughs> I am covered in uh, sparkly silver reindeers with red Diamante noses. And if that isn't making an effort, I do not know what is. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we are very much uh, still affected by strikes in Scotland. We have the postal strikes, we have the rail strikes, which will be happening on Christmas Eve. And something that doesn't get nearly as much coverage, um, coffin makers at Co-op Funeral Care in Glasgow are also out on strike for pain conditions. But the sort of main issue for people um, at the moment is that we're going to be having more teaching strikes in January. So a second teaching union has announced strike dates for just after the schools go back after the Christmas holidays. So we now have three unions combining to show a united front, but the government isn't budging. Nicola Sturgeon has come out and said that she supports the current offer that's on the table. So it looks like both sides are still very much digging their heels in. And of course, for parents, that's a huge worry because they've got the Christmas holidays. And then for three days after the Christmas holidays, it looks very much that because of this three-pronged attack from the three teaching unions, schools are going to be shut. It's interesting that it moves from one one sector to another. Uh, let's go to Northern Ireland now then. Peter McVeigh, first question, traditionally, have you got a government yet? Uh, uh, no, Matt, there's a traditional answer and it's also the, <laughs> the current answer. No, we um, don't. Uh, and what about, so what about the strike uh, situation there in Northern Ireland? Yeah, the, the nurses here are on strike. Interesting to see. I think some Scottish nurses maybe come out this morning in solidarity with the Northern Ireland colleagues just as a as a show of strength and a show of solidarity. Here in Northern Ireland, we've had hundreds of appointments that have been cancelled across. The interesting point for us probably in Northern Ireland is it's not the first time our nurses have gone on strike. They did go mm. on strike three years ago. And actually, the strike from the nurses three years ago was what led to us getting the Stormont Executive back up and running again. The nurses were successful in the campaign then. It did add some pressure to our politicians. And interestingly, that strike was led by Pat Cullen, who at that stage was the Northern Ireland leader of the RCN and is now the UK-wide leader. And while she may not have been getting as much media exposure or as much attention as Mick Lynch and the way he performs <laughs> in the media, a lot of people here have been watching her, watching her style, and have been very familiar in Northern Ireland with the voice and face of, of, of Pat Cullen as she now goes nationwide. It's interesting that maybe maybe having a slightly lower profile, slightly less combative might be one of the reasons why all the polling suggests that the public support for nursing uh, for nurses going out strike is higher than the than the railways. You know, Mick Lynch is a yeah. more, more more colourful character. De definitely, those we know are here as an individual. I've spoken about her. She's obviously she just spent maybe twenty five years here. But the interesting thing is about her is that they say she very much leads from the front, and that she she's renowned as someone who doesn't sit behind a desk. And you'll have noticed that she's very keen on the media opportunity, very keen to get out there and show, her, show herself alongside her members, alongside the nurses. And she's shown a great amount of energy as well in terms of the number of picket lines that she's been able to attend uh, over the recent past. That I know she's been up and down the country over the last number of months and um, speaking to her members and building support for this campaign. So whether you agree or not with the aims of the nurses, it is interesting to see the different styles and the different ways in which the campaigns um, are being led. And interestingly, I hear Katrina talking a little bit about teachers in Scotland. Some teachers in Northern Ireland are taking industrial action, but they're stopping short of strikes. So the impact of that is that my 13-year-old son found out yesterday how he did in English and maths, but he's not getting a grade for PE, history or art this Christmas. 
Blimey, I didn't realise it was all spreading, uh, spreading to Northern Ireland as well. Well, obviously, we'll keep an eye on that, uh, what's happening with the strikes. We'll have more on that in uh, the midday update in an hour's time. But let's turn our attention to the most important part of Disunited Kingdom. Uh, the uh, fun. Let's try and find the most fun part of the country. So you're all going to offer up a, a story, and then after the break, we'll do... Uh, I'm going to ask you some quiz questions, uh, and you can gain more points, so it's not all over. As things currently stand... Wales have got 90 points, Northern Ireland 94, Scotland 96 and England 98. So I'll award, should we do double points today? Let's do double points. Why not? It's Christmas. Yes, 100%. So, <laughs> yeah, Will's very keen on that, given how far behind he is. Uh, so, Will, uh, playing for eight points then, uh, what have you got for me in Wales? Okay, I've got a bit of a, a dilemma here because I'm unlike almost every other person in the world. I'm not a fan of dogs, so I've tried not to do a dog story all year. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right, cut him off. <laughs> yeah. Go on then. So so, know, so you, you, you don't like dogs, but you realise that's the best way to try and get some points. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm basically going to close my eyes here. Um, Go on then, what so, have you got? Um, uh, a dog in Prostatin um, has um, written off a car because it was in the car. <laughs> And it accidentally put the car into drive and it rolled down a hill and it wrote off another car. But the comments from the owners and the person whose car was written off kind of sum up why I just hate all of this cult of dog. Basically, the owner said, my car is fine, really. Just a crack bumper. It's a Jeep. So it's very sturdy with lots of weight. My neighbor's car might be a write off. I did swear at Freya, which is the dog at the time. But I shouldn't have sworn at her. She didn't know she'd done anything wrong. She's actually a really good dog. Um, and then it was followed up by the um, the owners of the written off car who just said they found it absolutely hilarious that their car had been written off because it was a dog that had done it. And it's, I mean, maybe it isn't that funny, but um, the, um, they described. I like it. I think your 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 uh, anger towards the whole thing is adding to my enjoyment of it. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, she will now be consigned to the dog boot, uh, but because she took matters into her own hands, she hasn't even got hands. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, that's pretty good. Right, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's uh, move on then to Northern Ireland. Peter, what have you got? Right. Didn't go for an animal story this week, Matt, just so we could give Will a chance of making up um, those eight <laughs> points. Uh, ours essentially is um, it's the World Cup, and you'll know the theory is, it might be the same in the other regions as well, the theory here for any journalist is that there isn't a story in the world that doesn't have an Irish or Northern Irish connection, yeah. and we've done it with the World Cup as well. Argentinian midfielder Alexis McAllister, who plays for Brighton, uh, there's a place here in Northern Ireland called Cushendall. It's a small fishing village in the glens of Antrim. Gorgeous, if you ever get the chance to see it. Uh, his great-great-grandfather, we think, came from there. The village is full of McAllisters, and he's been invited back um, <laughs> to see the village, to, to meet um, his great-great-grandfather's descendants, and to play a game of hurling. But interestingly, Dublin have also claimed him, a part of Dublin called Donabate. They've done some research as well, and they're claiming that actually his ancestry is there. So we're not sure whether he's Northern Irish or Irish, but we are 100% that the Argentinian World Cup winner Alexis <laughs> McAllister came from somewhere on the island of Ireland. So it's basically like back. Northern Ireland won the World Cup. That's what you're saying. Pretty much. Well, we, we qualified in <laughs> 1958, 1982 and 1986. We didn't do that well in any of those yeah. years, but we are now by association claiming that we're the proud owners of our first World Cup <laughs> and definitely did better than England, Wales and Scotland combined. Right. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll leave that. Uh, let's, <laughs> Katrina, what have you got in Scotland? Uh, so I have gone for a story with a Christmas theme, 
big-hearted generosity and it shows how much fun people in Scotland are. So sorry lads but we're on to a winner with this one. So there is a woman in Glasgow called Kate Deeming who dresses up as various different characters and she dances through the streets of Polish Shields on the south side of Glasgow and she has been dressed up as a sparkly beautiful Christmas tree and danced for a full 24 hours around the streets even though it was sub-zero temperatures even though it was a, a tough thing to do and people came out and joined her. STV was out filming in the neighbourhood and captured Kate, encouraging people to come and dance with her. To my friend's absolute horror when she switched on the television, one of those people was her dad. So uh, shout out to Big Mike Deutsch for being an absolute sport on the dad dancing front. To the people <laughs> of Glasgow for dancing and to Kate Deeming for just being brilliant and raising loads of money for warm banks in the city. That's a really nice thing, a dancing Christmas tree, and it's nice and festive. So, uh, Nicola, there's a lot riding on this. Uh, what have you got for us from England? Well, you see, I've got the political, divisive political hot potato that is Yorkshire puddings. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Lancashire. Yeah. Um, this is the Flake Fleet Primary School in, in Fleetwood, and uh, the head girl at Flake Fleet Primary School was absolutely incensed at news that the head, the teacher's Christmas menu... Christmas lunch had Yorkshire puddings on their Christmas dinner, but the pupils didn't have any Yorkshire puddings whatsoever to be seen. So she wrote this furious letter to the head teacher. Um, her name's Sky Taylor as well. I'll big her up. And she described Yorkshire puddings as food of the gods. And this letter was so sort of effective. The head teacher immediately said, Right, okay, all right, I'll do you a dance off. So the head teacher <laughs> did a dance off with Sky, which he lost uh, terribly. So now all of the pupils have got Yorkshire puddings on their menu. Uh, for That's Yorkshire pretty good. That's pretty dinner. good. Pretty really good work. If really. it's not a dog story, I do like a food mm. story. Right, go on, there's rewarding <laughs> double points. Right, I think uh, just because it will annoy Will so much, I'm going to give him eight points for the dog because oh, I enjoyed I how upset you were about uh, having to, to lower yourself to a dog story. I think Yorkshire, Yorkshire puddings is pretty... I think well, let's give six points to Yorkshire puddings. I quite like... It's a proper local news approach to claiming uh, Argentina. So I think four points there. Which doesn't mean only two points to the dancing Christmas tree, which seems unfair. But that's... that's them's, them's the breaks, as they say. Them's the breaks. So as things stand then, England on 104, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland all on 98, where there are going to be more points up for grabs as I test you on some of the best stories we've had on Disunited Kingdom so far this year. This is the Disunited Kingdom battle to find the most fun part of the UK. As things stand, England have got 104 points, Wales 98, Scotland 98, Northern Ireland 98. Uh, we've got a whole load of questions about some of the best stories from this year. I'm going to test you to see who can remember the most from their own patch. Two points up for grabs for each one. Uh, if you get it wrong and somebody else chips in, they'll get a point and we'll do as many as we can before we run out of time. Right, let's start with uh, England. Nicola in England. Now, you, you, Nicola, you've got to basically cover the whole of England, despite um, that okay, not being your yeah. whole patch. So we start then with uh, a Lancashire businessman spent £100,000 on the original lyrics of which Beatles song in 1998 as a gift for his daughter's 21st birthday? So which Beatles song cost £100,000 for a copy of the original lyrics? Um, hey Jude? Is the right answer. Very good. <laughs> right, now we go to Scotland then. Uh, Katrina, a group of Glasgow pensioners met up for a pub crawl this year, but how long did it last? 
40 minutes, 40 days or 40 years? Oh, I know this one. Oh, I was so worried that this quiz was going to end up with me being stripped of my UK citizenship if I got them all wrong. It was 40 years. Is the right answer. Very good. Uh, Now we go to Wales then. Will, how do you spell the Welsh word for cuddle? Um, It's kutch. Um, Oh, I'm so English. Um, uh, (laughs) C-W-T-C-H. It's the right answer. Very good. I need to keep. We need to be keeping scores. So I'm going. Uh, and then Peter in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, which singer-songwriter drank a mega pint in a Belfast bar in June? Oh, you have me. Man, I'm not sure is the answer. Do you want to just guess it? Somebody who's like young chap in the pop charts. Oh, Ed Sheeran is the wrong answer. Anyone else want to come in? Yeah. Uh... Pilo Natini? No. <laughs> Go on. Sam Fender. Right, no, none of you are getting it. The answer was uh, Lewis Capaldi. Day bleeds into Oh, that's enough. We haven't got time for playing records. Uh, right, let's go back to England then. Nicola, what animal was punched to death after it stole a chip at a Gloucester pub? <laughs> it's one of my favourite stories of the squirrel. year. This. Say? I have no idea. A squirrel? <laughs> randomly picked an animal. Uh, We did have a story. Another of my favourite stories this year was a squirrel got into Greg's, uh, which did very well earlier in the year. Anyone else want to come in? Which animal was punched to death after it stole a chip at a Gloucester pub? Was it a seagull? It was a seagull. Well, well done. I have a bonus points. Uh, Right, then we go to Scotland then. Katrina. Desperate Rangers fans tried to book what unusual method of transport to travel to the Europa League final in Spain? Oh, don't hit me with football ones. Uh... But it's a mode of it's got nothing to do with football. We just want an unusual mode of transport. I know, but as soon as the word football is mentioned, I just completely disconnect. Um, A horse and cart. Is the wrong answer. Anyone else want to chip in? Tuk-tuk. No, it's not a tuk-tuk. The right answer is hot air balloon. Uh, Will, in Wales, the birth of what animal was declared a miracle after it was born just 15 centimetres tall and weighing two pounds? Uh, I don't know, but it's always a sheep. <laughs> it's the right answer. <laughs> oh, We're just a caricature of ourselves sometimes. Right, we go to uh, uh, Northern Ireland now. Uh, a Newton Abbey baby was named after what takeaway dish said to be her parents' favourite? Peter. Or, oh. I remember the story, Matt, but I can't remember the dish. I'm going to adopt Will's theory and say the answer is always a sheep. No. <laughs> Anyone want to chip in with the name of a, of a takeaway dish that you might have named a baby? I really want it to be biryani. <laughs> I mean, you're in the right area. It's pakora. Um, uh, but anyway, so you've not got that right. Have we, got, we could probably do one more very quick round, as long as you don't uh, hang about too much. Uh... <laughs> right, Nicola. Nicola, a Croydon mum insisted her daughter wasn't spoiled despite uh, spending £3,500 on a birthday complete with which live fictional creature? Um, fictional creature that a child would want at a birthday party. No. Right. Anybody else want no to come idea. in? Unicorn. Unicorn's the right answer. Well done, Peter. You can have a bonus point for that. All right, into Scotland now. Uh, b- 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 <laughs> Wh- 
Um, uh, a new museum in Perth held a public vote to decide its new name. What did the public decide to call it, Katrina? <laughs> Perth Museum, when it should obviously have been Perthy McPerth Face Museum. We like that. Well done. Right, very good. Uh, Will in <laughs> Cardiff. This is one of my favourite ones. Who won the 2022 Man v Horse Race? Was it the man or the horse? Oh, the um, I've actually ran it. The um, the horse, the man has only won twice. Um, I'm going to say the horse is the wrong answer. No, <laughs> it was the sheep. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> Right, finally then, uh, finally then, last question then for you, Peter. A uh, a, met, a medal awarded to what animal for its service during World War II sold for £140,000 at auction? Which animal? Was it a carrier pigeon? It was not a carrier pigeon. Anyone else want to come in? Uh, I didn't hear the question. A, a medal? I realised I switched. I'm thinking about tick Name it, basically name an animal. An animal uh, got a medal at the and it was and it sold for one hundred forty thousand pounds. Dog. Sheep. Who's saying dog? Is that Nicola? Yep. Is the correct answer. So, talk amongst yourselves while I do some adding. <laughs> <laughs> this sort of flaw in this is that quizzes when are bad for radio because we've all had so much. Steadier thinking time. No, it's no, it's. Uh, of, I think you you'll find. I think you'll find this is award-winning uh, radio. <laughs> I'm just sad no one can really see my Christmas jumper. Right here we go then. Oh, but your Christmas jumper is very nice. So <laughs> we are about to crown the most fun part of the UK. In fourth place with 99 points is Northern Ireland. No Sorry, fun. They're Irish anyway. No fun at all in Northern Ireland. Uh, sorry about that, Peter. In second, pl in third place with 102 points is Scotland. What? Oh, that is wrong. <laughs> in, second, in second place with 103 points is Wales. We'll take it. We'll take it. Which means the runaway, the runaway winners with 108 points, the most fun part of the UK is England. Oh, well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, you guys have been absolutely brilliant. It's so nice to have some of our regulars back uh, for the last one of the year. Thank you for talking us through Disney United Kingdom political news to the four corners of the UK. But far more importantly, uh, working out which is the most fun part of the UK as well. Uh, Merry Christmas to you all. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That was Nicola Adam, uh, who was the editor of the Lancashire Post and Blackpool Gazette. We had Will Hayward, Welsh Affairs Editor at Wales Online, Katrina Stewart from the Herald and Glasgow Times, and in Northern Ireland, Peter McVerry from our sister station, U105 in Belfast. Disunited Kingdom will, of course, be back in the new year, uh, when it'll be much less. We, I think we just wipe the slate clean and uh, we go again, see if uh, another country could be more fun. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 